Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest is a college football analyst, and I call him a connoisseur of recruiting. Tom Luganville, welcome aboard. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me. How you doing today? I am doing wonderful, Tom, and I, I, have, a, I have a quick question for you. Have you looked uh -huh. behind the seat of your car to see if Jordan Birch's paperwork is there? Well, I, I, I have not because I spent so much of my time wasting it on trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, I know he signed a piece of paper. I don't know if it was an actual letter of intent. And to my knowledge to this point, his mom's the only one that has it. How, how bizarre is this, Tom? I mean, I know every year we hear these strange tales of recruiting and guys flipping at the last minute and changing the hats under the table and all that. But I, I, I've got to think this takes it to another level. Well, it does, and I'm going to say to you what I said on air yesterday on national television, what I said on SiriusXM Radio last night and this morning. And, you know, those of us who follow or cover recruiting or are in the weeds of, of the process of recruiting, you know, we're often the ones that everybody wants to blame for, you know, player entitlement and us putting them up on a pedestal and it's too much too fast and, you know, no wonder they fail. But the moment you criticize, all right, a player for their actions or their conduct, those same people want to come out of the woodwork and say, well, you can't say that about him. He's a kid. Well, you don't get it both ways. This guy's embarking on the next phase of his life. He's going to have to end up making far more difficult decisions than this one. He's had well over two years to go through this process and educate himself and make the decision. All right, He's now had two press conferences. He has committed to Will Muschamp. He's taken visits everywhere else. There's been time, money, manpower, all kinds of expenditures involved in this recruitment. And you know what? It's hard to tell people no. You can only tell one yes, but it's time to do it. The process is over. Let's move on and make a decision. And all you're doing is bring, bringing further scrutiny onto yourself because now the pressure to perform and the pressure to be uh, the legitimate guy that everybody's saying you are is far greater than it needs to be. Yeah, it's in the, I'm, I'm going to take my Clint Eastwood hat and put it on right now, and this is my get-off-the-lawn moment. It's, a, it's part of our everybody-gets-a-trophy society. We, can, we right. can pat them on the back, but we can't spank them on the butt. We can't, yeah, we can't criticize them. You know, we can't. And, and listen, he's a young man. I get it. Uh, I think in this particular instance, the, his, his guidance and where this thing is, being, uh, is, is all coming from, I think it probably falls more on the side of the mom. And, um, and listen, this is, I mean, this is frustrating. And, and, I, and I told our producers yesterday on TV, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tired of this nonsense. You know, let's, let's start treating these kids like the young man that they're expected to turn in. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to all have to go on campus. They're going to have to be accountable for their time. They're going to have to be away from home for the first time. They're going to have to show up at 5 a.m. for workouts, and they're going to have to all, do all of this stuff. Make your decision because it's only going to get dip more difficult. It's not going to get easier. Tom, let, let me run this by you. And maybe I'm cuckoo. Maybe I'm off the reservation. But I, I don't think there should be national signing days. I think when okay. you come and approach a kid, you make him an offer. You give him a two-day window to make up his mind. And if he wants it, he takes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And I know some kids will do it as a knee-jerk reaction, take the first good thing put in front of them. But I, I do believe in my heart, eventually, it would work itself out. A am I crazy? Do I have a nugget of something good there? 
Well, the problem with that thinking is you're always going to have the other side of the argument in the sense that, well, what if the coach gets fired? What if the program goes in the tank and this kid had, had signed a letter of intent as a junior and all of a sudden that program that he signed with isn't the same program that recruited him? So you, I, I think there, there's a, the devil's always in the details and you'd have some, some challenges there. But the, the issue with where we're at right now, and listen, by and large, every college coach I speak with, they love the early signing period. They don't have to babysit. They don't have to expend resources in the month of January. They can get a head start. There's two opportunities now for kids who maybe weren't sure for the first time. They got the opportunity now for the second time. But there is always unintended consequences when you do something like this, and they're unavoidable. So you're never going to make everybody happy all the time. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's like that, that, that old saying, if, if you want to be a good leader, make tough decisions. If you want to make everybody happy, go sell ice cream. All right, well, with National Signing Day, by and large, you're going to make most people happy, not everybody. And you know what? It's not going to be fair for everybody either. It's not going to be fair for the coaches. It's not going to be fair for the players. Different programs have a different uh, uh, set of resources. Some are greater, some are less than others. So there's always going to be challenges in everything you do trying to do this. But you're never going to get away from the side, the, the, the player right side of the, of the debate. And we are more entrenched in that now than we've ever been before in college athletics. What, what can we do to reverse that trend, though? Is, is there one thing, though, that would just alleviate a lot of this hoo-ha? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, listen, I, I think that what we have found is that the early signing period, by and large, was a success. I think it, it uh, exceeded the expectations of the college coaches in, in relationship to how many kids were going to actually do it. I don't think that they thought there was going to be anywhere near an 80% mark, which is where it's at right now. Um, I don't, there, there's tweaks that can be made to, to everything, but the problem is, is there's no putting the pace back in the tube. We, the, the process has become so fast, you're having to go out and identify and recruit and, and, and offer kids earlier and earlier and earlier, and all that does is lead to misses and mistakes because now all of a sudden you don't even let a kid get into their senior year. You don't even get to evaluate them develop as, and, and develop as a senior. So you just you, there's a lot more risk involved now than there ever was before, but there's no going back either. We're joined by college football analyst, recruiting guru, Tom Luganbill. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Luganbill. And, Tom, in addition to recruiting, I know there's something else that you're very opinionated on, you're, the transfer portal. And Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente, well, now here's where it gets good, Tom. Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente, he says if any of his players enter the transfer portal, they can't come back. They'll no longer be Hokies. And I, I have two thoughts on this, Tom, and I want to hear what you think. One, I agree with him, but two, didn't he kind of enter a transfer portal himself when he talked with Baylor? Yeah, you know, uh, and you make good points, and I can see the argument from, from both sides. Number one, on the transfer portal alone, he's not the only one doing that. I know several other Power 5 head coaches that have brought their teams into the room and told each one of them to a man, hey, listen, if you're unhappy here, we don't want to hinder your progress. We're not going to stop you from leaving, but understand my job as the head coach here is to do the best job I can to build this program. So if you enter into that transfer portal, and especially if you do it without coming and telling me, then your scholarship is not going to be renewed. And so Justin Fuente is not alone in, in that sentiment. 
I'm, I, I look at this thing in a couple of different ways as it relates to the coaches. And I know we're in an era where the money is, is so big and the coaches are making so much money, but there's still a part of me, and you use the, the, the phrase, the, the, the get off my lawn uh, sentiment. There's still a part of me that is very concerned about why we seem to equate a working professional, somebody that has earned an undergraduate degree, maybe a, a postgraduate degree, has worked his way up the ladder in their chosen profession, all right, and had an opportunity to put food on the table, pay bills, pay a mortgage, and we're trying to say that an 18-year-old kid or a 19-year-old kid who hasn't even completed college, which, by the way, is getting paid for, should be treated the same way as the working professional. I mean, to me, that's almost like saying, you know, if you're the CEO of the company, should the first-year intern be treated the same way as you are? Well, the answer is no. So I think there's a little bit of that where we get too caught up sometimes in, in trying to act like everybody, these players should be treated exactly the same or have the exact same freedom as their, their coaches. But we're not talking about the same walk of life yet. And that's probably why I had why I had the biggest pushback. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and we talk about dialing in or rather reeling in the recruiting process a little bit. Maybe we can wrap our arms a little bit around the transfer portal if we were to put a time frame on it. Maybe some kind of again window. How how would you feel about that? Well, I've actually talked about that extensively um, with some folks, and because that's one area about the transfer portal that I do not like is you're allowed to go in there and just float around. And, and just stay in there for as long as you want. I and mean, one of the things that I had proposed is, okay, this is all about market value and scholarship availability. That's the one thing that gets glossed over, by the way, in all of this. There's been over 1,100 players going to the transfer portal. Less than 10% have signed somewhere else. And the reason why is because there's no scholarships available. The transfer portal, portal in essence, is the quarterback portal because it's really the only area – and the only position that benefits from it. So what I would do is I would say, all right, if you go into the, the transfer portal, uh, you have a 48-hour window or a 72-hour window to figure out what your market value is. And what you might end up finding out is there's not as many opportunities out there as you thought there were. So you better think long and hard. And I know that discussion has been had with a lot of coaches and their players too. Hey, you know, think before you do something. Because this thing may not be as rosy as you think it is, but going in there and just floating around while you're still on the university's dime, I'm not in favor of that. I do think there should be a time limit on it in terms of finding out what your market value is, and then you're either staying in it and you're in it permanently and you're not returning to the program, or you pull yourself out. Do, do you think that teams will maybe start banking scholarships then in the hope that somebody wiggles loose and, and they'll have something for them? Oh, they already are. Um, part of the part of the recruiting model now in terms of roster management has shifted in the sense that if I, if I use this hypothetical, if you've got a, a program that's got, you know, their board up and they've got the top five or six guys that they would like to take at the position, well, what if they miss on the, on the top four? Are you better off taking that fifth guy who maybe isn't good enough and you're now you're just maybe taking a body just to take a body? Or do you hold that scholarship and you say, maybe we carry this into the spring and the summer and you don't know, maybe there's a, a guy out there that's a grad transfer that's immediately eligible or there's another guy that maybe he's not immediately eligible, but he has four years to play three because he still has his red shirt year. So those practices is all, are, are already being employed. The other issue in all of this 
is you have scholarship initial counter problems because the moment you take these guys and they enroll in school and now all of a sudden they count as an initial counter and you lose them, you don't get that back. So it's becoming increasingly difficult to massage your roster and manage it if you're going to have all of these players just jumping and going from here to there. One more minute with Tom Luganbill. And, Tom, before we let you go, now that National Signing Day Part 2 has come and <laughs> gone, which, uh, which program surprised you the most, and is there a team maybe we should keep an eye on that trending upward? Well, I think that the Arkansas Razorbacks did a surprisingly good job, uh, particularly yesterday. Uh, two players in the ESPN 300 and an offensive lineman in Marcus Henderson, the quarterback Malik Hornsby, who was probably the most, the most high-profile remaining quarterback on the board that was still open. So Sam Pittman, in a very short period of time at Arkansas, I think he did surprisingly well. Um, very concerned about USC, obviously, out of the Pac-12. Uh, One player out of the ESPN 300, only 13 total players uh, in the cat class, and it's the caliber of player that's more concerning than the lack of numbers. Um, in, in my opinion. And then I think there's uh, the University of Kentucky has made big inroads. Arizona State is trending upward and really pushing along with Oregon in the, in the Pac-12. So it's your usual suspect in terms of the Clemsons and the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the, the, the Georgias and all of those. But what I always try to do is tell folks, be excited about what you see on paper right now, but understand it doesn't mean anything until two to three years down the road when you truly find out if the class is worth anything or not. Development, 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 Tom. That's what makes the program great. Yeah, you can have the players, but you don't do any good unless you help develop them. Yep, there's no doubt about it. And you know what? A lot of guys develop at different rates. doesn't happen at the same time for everybody. And some of that takes a longer time for, for others. And trust me, there's far more developmental guys out there than there are college-ready guys. That's sage wisdom from college football analyst and recruiting connoisseur Tom Luganbill. Follow him on Twitter, at Tom Luganbill. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, bud. It's Tom Luganbill. Follow him on Twitter, at Tom Luganbill. Development, development, development. The guy in high school, yeah, he could be the superstar. He could be a five-star athlete. He could be the, the next great thing, but he has still got to develop because there's a long way between a five-star player in high school and then being an All-American in college at least nine times out of ten. It's how you develop that player and how you use him. Just because you get a player doesn't mean he's going to succeed at your team simply because of system. Make sure he's a fit for what you want to do or that he can adapt to what you want to do. Lots of things are involved when it comes to recruiting. Excellent segment with Tom Luganbill. Lots of storms going on throughout our region. Check your weather. Uh, there's been some tornado warnings in the Piedmont Triad area, Charlotte, uh, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point, our friends and neighbors there. Check the weather if you're indoors. They're saying stay indoors and uh, just be safe out there. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Scott Hamilton filling in for David Glenn, who's in the port city today, Wilmington. Hello to our friends by the coast. 
She's at the Bill Dooley National Football Foundation fundraiser. Mac Brown will be addressing the crowd. John Bunting, friend of the program. John Bunting's a good dude, man. So's Mac, and of course, DG. Tom Lukenbill, outstanding. Last segment, like outstanding, and you know I've seen a I've seen growth out of Tom as his role has become more prominent, and he's become the guy for recruiting. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and this deal, this deal with Jordan Birch, where's his paperwork? I'm of the mind that that dude is not going to South Carolina, and there are rumblings coming out of South Carolina, the Palmetto State at large, not necessarily the school, that he's got some people at LSU bending his ear. Here, here's the thing, though. Here's This is only going to, like, get the attention of people they don't want to get the attention of, meaning the NCAA. When something like this happens, you start poking around. Hmm, what's going on here? Who's talking to him? Is he being offered something? Has he accepted something? Has somebody in his family accepted something or been offered something or asked for something? And I'm thinking of Cecil Newton, Cam Newton's dad. Something's going on. The NCAA is going to poke around. Jordan Burt's going to be in a going to be in a bind, and South Carolina might be glad it didn't work out. But we'll see. It's bizarre, no matter how it works out. It's just strange what's happened so far. And it's going to follow him. Jordan Birch, three years from now. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that he, he twice had a press conference, put on his South Carolina hat, signed a paper, but it was just a piece of paper. Darren, we're going to have a press conference. I'm going to sign a paper. I'm committing to go to blah, 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 but it doesn't count. Same thing Jordan Birch did twice. And the transfer portal, Tom had some good thoughts on that. But but, like he said, the coaches have kind of always felt like that about the transfer portal. They're just now speaking out. And, of course, Justin Fuente of Virginia Tech, the most prominent. Now, I get what Tom said. You can't really compare a guy who's gone through school and is at a professional and all that with a student, a student athlete. But – Aren't they also being compensated for their for their services in a way? And I'm not getting into the paying the players argument. I'm not about to tiptoe down that road. But they are being compensated via an education and all the things that come with being a student athlete, especially at a, for a revenue sport at a Power 5 school. So I think it's a little hypocritical for Justin Fuente to say, if you enter the transfer portal, you can't come back, because he kind of did the same thing when he spoke with Baylor. He put his name out there, or somebody put his name out there, and there were some conversations, perhaps even a visit. I think that's what happened at a, uh, a neutral site, I'm using air quotes, neutral site, to discuss the possibility of him becoming the next head football coach at Baylor after Matt Rule was uh, thrown into the back of the Brinks truck that David Tepper owns. Anyway, Fuente yesterday, he's talking about National Signing Day, and he says the coaching staff – meaning he and his cadre of coaches decided that players who entered their names in the portal cannot return. And I do think we have him. Darren, can you play that? 
We're not doing that. We talked about it with as a, as a team. You know, talked about Hendon and Deshaun last year and how that was me not doing a good job educating them. And we'll take all of them on a case-by-case basis, but we're moving forward. When you say you're not doing that, you mean you're not taking any of them back? Or? Correct. And I do believe that was Norm Wood of the Newport News Daily Press asking that follow-up question. You're not going to take them back. They've had a lot of guys flirt with the transfer portal. I guess you could call it flirting. If you don't actually go somewhere, you're just kind of exploring things, see how it works out. They've had 12 players enter the transfer portal since the end of the 2019 regular season. 12! It's February! (laughs) It's the first week of February! So, between December and February, a dozen players, 12 members of the Hokies, said, man, we might want to look to go elsewhere. I I know they had an up-and-down season. More down and up, I guess, would be a better way to put it, except for that bowl loss. Because they started off shaky, got shellacked by Duke at home, and then turned it around. Had a good end to the season, went to the belt bowl, lost to Kentucky. But for 12 guys to want to jump ship, something's going on. And it's not like he's a new coach and he's rattling cages and flipping things on its head. It's not like that. He's been there a while. This has been going on for some time. And he won't comment if he was offered the job at Baylor or not. Because if he was offered it and he turned it down... Well, that means he was, he, he concedes. Yeah, you know, we talked about it and I turned it down. Well, why'd you turn it down? Well, then that's a follow-up question. And he's also not going to admit if he was not offered the job because then it looks like he's just looking to leave, but he didn't get an opportunity. It's poor form all the way around. And if I'm one of his players, maybe that's why they're leaving. They, they see the hypocrisy in this. You can't look to go elsewhere, but I can. They should, coaches, they have contracts. You're supposed to be binding. But how how is a contract not as powerful as a letter of intent? Answer, Answer me that. The NCAA will hold a player's feet to the fire because they signed a national letter of intent. But a coach can get out of a contract with a buyout. Now, I know the player doesn't have X number of millions of dollars, but there's still got to be some leeway there. It's, the, the hypocrisy of it all is just mind-boggling. UConn's coach, Randy Edsel, he's also ticked off. Now, his profile's not as high as Justin Fuentes, make no mistake about that. But they've had 24 players enter the transfer portal since the end of the regular season. 24! Holy cow! That is two starting units and a few special teams guys. Kicker and a punter, if you will. A kicker and a punter and a long snapper. <laughs> but, you know, what? I when it comes to UConn football, I just shake my head. I'm that emoji with the, the hand on the face because, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't they that program that tried to start the rivalry with Central Florida and had the trophy? And UCF's like, no, bro, we just, no, just don't. <laughs> just don't. And they left the trophy on the sideline. They're like, ah. God bless their little hearts. That's what I'm going to say about UConn football. God bless. I'm amazed they still have football, to be honest with you. 
They should have probably stayed at the FCS level. But I digress. Back to the topic at hand. Randy Etzel saying players in the transfer portal are, quote, enabled and, quote, entitled. Well, duh. But they all are to a certain extent. Here's what you're going to see, though, Darren. And Tom Luganbill agreed with me on this point. He says it's already happening. They're going to start banking scholarships. Schools are going to start, particularly Power 5 schools now, they're going to start banking scholarships. So if a Justin Fields, a Jalen Hurts becomes available via the transfer portal, they're going to have a spot for him. They're going to have a spot for him. Now, who do you think is going to suffer the most from this? Group of five schools. Here's why. You've got a kid coming out of high school. And let's say he's a pretty good quarterback, but he doesn't get a lot of doesn't get a lot of feelers, a lot of attention from P5 schools. So he goes to a group of five school, does a great job, shows he's got he's got the goods, shows he's got the physical prowess and the mental wherewithal to be a big time quarterback. Well, suddenly those P5 schools are interested. This kid knows his stock has risen, enters the transfer portal, whoop, pluck him up get him you got a scholarship ready for him well guess what g5 school well you got to find another quarterback sorry you stuck with this kid you recruited this kid you gave him a scholarship you gave him an opportunity yep you're a farm team you're a farm system you're a developmental squad for a p5 school and that's going to happen more and more and more it's, it's it's like coaching you see that more and more app state excellent example by the way, Drinkwitz, beside himself getting the recruit yesterday that flipped from Bama. If you get an opportunity, go online for that. Maybe we'll get intern Will to post that on the Twitter, the video of Drinkwitz flipping out over that kid. But he's a guy who went, proved he could coach at the G5 level. P5 came, whoop, gone. Happens over and over and over, and it's starting to happen more with the players. 1-800-849-2761 1-800-849-2761 You're listening to The David Glenn Show If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups fastballs and sliders all the time Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball Wah, 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 wah You're listening to The David Glenn Show Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. I missed the Today Show this morning. Hammer and Hank, Hank Aaron was on. And I guess it's especially relative for multiple reasons, but including the cheating in Major League Baseball, sign stealing. And he's saying, give him the axe off with their heads he says they should be banned for life no players correct me if i'm wrong darren mr baseball no players punished in that is that is that correct correct for the time being there's for still a possibility that it could come out but major league baseball explicitly said that it was player driven as well which is what chaps a lot of people about it <laughs> Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong again, Darren, Mr. Baseball. 
using PEDs, a.k.a. steroids, it's also player-driven, and those guys are punished. Correct? How is it any different? It's cheating. I I don't understand. Baseball, man, as hypocritical as Justin Fuente. (laughs) I'm telling you, man. Player-driven, suspend them, punish them. You've got video, man. You can tell. You can, they have cameras everywhere. You can tell when they're getting signs and stuff, right? You can tell if a guy's hitting a drum or something. They've got a camera, don't they, on a garbage can or whatever? The, the problem with, with indicting specific players in all of this is that whether or not somebody was in the dugout banging a trash can or somebody was sounding a buzzer, in their jersey or, or whatever it is, there's no definitive way or, or quantitative way to get inside of a player's mind and determine he used this information. Okay. He was listening for this banging noise, right? You did exactly what I hoped you would do. You have just cemented my next statement. Joe Jackson hit 400 almost in the 1919 World Series. And was banned for life. No definitive proof that he took anything. It was the opposite of definitive proof. Sure. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame or he shouldn't be banned. He admitted to taking some money or something and some kind of confusing confession. Look, he was not a smart guy. He wasn't very educated. I'm not going to say he wasn't smart. He wasn't educated. And he was in an environment that had to be confusing, had to be pressure-packed, probably told, hey, just say this and you'll be okay. And here we are, 101 years later, the dude is still banished from baseball. It's all, no sport, no sport has as many just blemishes and the hypocrisy as as baseball. It's, It's just like Pete. In your heart of hearts, Darren, and look, this argument's been beat to death, and it's going to be beat to death, and it's going to be beat to death in about 25 minutes or about an hour, rather, when Don Venata Jr. of ESPN joins us. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Now, okay, so generationally, this this escapes me, right? Like, I wasn't around and a baseball fan at the time in which Pete Rose was, was betting on games and that sort of thing. So, so emotionally it doesn't hit me the same way that it does other baseball fans and i i get that but without that emotion i'm just kind of indifferent like i recognize that he's one of the greatest hitters of all time if not the greatest hitter of all time and probably should be a hall of famer again i'm just kind of indifferent to it i don't know i don't have an emotional visceral response to the pete rose stuff I have real issues with it. I'm not a Reds fan. I don't mind the Reds. They're okay. I've been to a bunch of games, but I love Pete. And and what what he's indicted for, rather, what he's being punished for, is is gambling while he was a manager. They can't really say much about his gambling as a player because there wasn't quite the mountain of evidence from the uh, the Dowd report. But. I think the way the whole thing was handled, after you watch, and we'll talk with Don Van Nata at 2.30 about this, the way the process was handled start to finish was almost like Keystone Cops. It was crazy. And and he went to jail for some, some tax issues and all that, but that's neither here nor there. The guy had 4,256 hits. 
You think he, he you think he was uh, throwing games? No. Now, as a manager, I, they they said that they felt he bet on his own team. I get it. But gambling is gambling. I don't know. I just I think I think thirty years is enough time, and they're wanting to wait until he's dead and then welcome him in. Joe Jackson's been dead for 60 years, 70 years. I, get that guy in. His numbers are incredible. Ted Williams said he was the greatest hitter to ever live. And the only hitter Ted Williams loved was himself. Watch the show Backstory. Don Venata, he's executive producer of that show. And it's it's enlightening. It opened my eyes to so many things because I was kind of on the fence about the Pete debate. Yeah, he shouldn't have gambled. Yeah, And what really burned him, though, and I'm kind of chasing rabbits here, is he denied it so adamantly for years until he decided to write a book and then admit it so he could sell some books. Baseball is, I, I, do we have this discussion about baseball because it is such a special thing to us, because it is our national pastime, because it was so unchanged for so long? There weren't many massive changes in baseball for the first 150 years. And this is a game that goes back to the 1860s, Abner Doubleday, Cartwright, and all that. You went from that era to the live ball era to finally breaking the color barrier. But from the time Jackie Robinson entered the major leagues in 1947 up until the steroid era, there was really no change in the game. It remained at its core the same for 50 years. And then the steroid era came, and, well, it hasn't been the same since. Even through the drug trials of the 1980s, the Pittsburgh drug trials and all that, the game itself didn't change. That was all off the field, well, except for Tim Raines and his vial of cocaine in his back pocket. That's why he slid head first there, and he admitted it, because he had coke in his back pocket. That's a whole other topic for another day. And I, I think that's why people are so... They freak out now because there are so many things going on changing the game. The last 10 years, and I'm going to say 10 years, maybe, okay, 15. It's been unbelievable. You've got the steroids. You've got the cheating. You've, you've got, you got Bartman, <laughs> which is, you know, I know that's not a player thing, but you got Steve Bartman reaching over and grabbing the foul ball, changing the course of history. It's unbelievable. Can't wait to talk with Don Van Notta Jr. about it at 2.30. Harold Varner, still three under at Pebble Beach, but he's one off the lead now. Greg Chalmers, George McNeil, four under par at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Crosby Clambake, we'll be monitoring that throughout the rest of the show. And don't forget, we're only 10 days out from the start of NASCAR Cup season. Daytona 500 will begin the season as it has every year since 1982. DW, Daryl Waltrip, going to join us top of the next hour. Three-time NASCAR Cup champ, now commentator for NASCAR on Fox, going to get his predictions for the Daytona 500 and the upcoming season. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop. After this, yeah, maybe join you in a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.
coming down the stretch. Second hour of the David Glenn Show on Thursday. DG in the Port City. Being a man of the people. He's at the Bill Dooley National Football Foundation fundraiser. Patting backs, shaking hands, rubbing elbows, and delivering joy to the masses in the Port City. Scott Hamilton filling in for David Glenn. ACC basketball scores last night, NC State 83, Miami 72, Virginia 51, Clemson 44. Notre Dame beat Pitt 80 to 72. Six games over the weekend coming up, including Virginia at Louisville Saturday, ESPN four o'clock tip, and of course, number seven Duke at Carolina, six o'clock tip off on the worldwide leader. It's a rivalry, even if the Tar Heels are having a down year. Still a rivalry. Goes without saying. It's a little more, uh, a little more panache, of course, when they're both having the kind of season they're accustomed to. Duke, 9-2 in league play, second place. Carolina, 3-8, 13th place in the ACC. But still, it's Duke, Carolina. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And you, you still tune in. People still tune in. I, Ohio State, Michigan is good even when one of those teams is down or you have a gut feeling that mm, Ohio State's going to curb stomp Michigan yet again. People still watch. People watch the Iron Bowl even in down years. Credit to those rivalries, though, at least the Iron Bowl, because they've been pretty, pretty good lately. Not Ohio State, Michigan, even though there, there's this hope that Michigan keeps turning it around, that this will be the year, this will be the year. Write this down with your red pen, Darren. If Michigan doesn't beat Ohio State this year, Coach Khaki Pants, John Jim Harbaugh is gone. They'll make it look like it was his own decision, but he's gone. Hypothetical. What if it's his only loss? <sighs> I thought about that, too. I think you got to beat that team in red. You got to beat them. Uh, Darren Vaught. That's not going to happen. No, I, I don't know how <laughs> likely that is. If but. that's his only loss, yeah, of course he's coming back. Yeah. Of course. But that ain't happening. Ohio State's going to be really good again. We're already talking college football. We're not even 24 hour, hours out from National Signing Day. Part deux. Because there are two now. Don't forget. Part deux. You like you like my French? You didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Duh. Or one word. Duh. Oui. No. Yeah, I know some swear words. I got C's in high school French. I know I'd ask for a bathroom in Spanish. Manual. Oh, and dos cerveza, por favor. Two beers. Yeah, see, but you're uh, pronouncing it incorrectly. Of course I am. Tua Tonga Viola. Viola. Did nope. I get it? Nope. Tonga Viola. Tonga Viloa. Viloa. Our friend Eli Gold there you go. would smack me on the wrist. Just Tua. Miami Dolphin, Tua. <laughs> That's how it's going to happen. <laughs> That's what we need. to. They need to learn how to pronounce it in Miami because he's going to be headed to the Dolphins. How would he look in a, in a Panthers uniform, though? Is that something to be considered? Panthers are drafting seventh. They're saying he's going to be gone by then, but... Do they want to get a quarterback? They haven't committed. The new coaching staff of the Panthers hasn't committed to Cam other than to say they like him. And I think that's prudent. That's all they can say at this juncture because we don't know his health. But they've got to make a decision, in my mind, 
they have to make a decision by the end of this month, I do believe, in order to to get the plan. They, and they're probably making two plans as we speak, one with Cam, one without. And it'll all be determined, I think, by his health. If he's healthy in a couple of weeks, they do some tests or whatever, have him work out. I think they keep him. But there's and now here's the other argument going around though, besides do they keep Cam or do they deal him or whatever? They're in a rebuild, right? They're breaking it down, gonna build it back up. Do you do you do you trade Christian McCaffrey? To get that that's being tossed around. That's being tossed around to get assets. Because how many NFL teams are built around a running back? A small running back. We, we don't know his durability. Really, we don't. I mean, he's played a lot of snaps, played a lot of games, and he's he's shown that he can do that, but he's showed so far. He's always one play away from his last game. Do you do it? to get? You'd have to get significant assets. Make no mistake about it. And again, don't shoot the messenger. But something people have talked about. I mean, look at the Super Bowl teams. The Chiefs and the 49ers. Who is how, the, do, how do they approach their running back position? Exactly. Exactly. What do you do? You go get that. Do you, do you, do you get some assets? Draft? Draft assets? Move up and you get a, a Tua? Do you get a Joe Burrow? No. Do you sit back and say, well, we're going to be bad this year. Maybe we get Trevor Lawrence next year. Is Trevor Lawrence a Matt Rule quarterback? There's so many things we don't know. I, I miss the old days of building in to out. Dave Gettleman, get the hog mollies and then everything else to take care of itself. But it helped that he had that transcendent guy at quarterback. It helped a bunch. You can do a lot of things, man, when you got a Cam Newton, a quarterback. And no, I'm not saying to get rid of Christian McCaffrey. I'm just repeating an option that has been voiced. I don't know how I would feel. I mean, you'd have to get a lot in return because he's still, what, 24? 23? But, again, what is the average life of an NFL running back? Three years? I'm just saying. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, Darren. Got a little NASCAR on the other side. DW, you know him, Daryl Waltrip, three-time NASCAR Cup champ. Now commentator for NASCAR on Fox. We're going to pick his brain on the upcoming Daytona 500, the 2020 season. And what will Jimmy Johnson's last go-round, what's it going to look like? Dabo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. you. I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80. <laughs> the original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show.